Payday is coming. Are we ready? Several years ago, a woman wrote about her remembrance of a comment that her mother was fond of making to her when she was much younger, when the woman telling the story was much younger, that whenever she, as a child or young girl, said something or did something foolish, her mother would say, young lady, that's going to go onto your permanent record. Well, the woman said at the time, she sort of laughed off her mother's remark, but later in life, it dawned on her that it was, in fact, true. There has been kept a record of all the foolhardy things that she had done. She said, for example, there was a record in her own memory, and a record in her character, and her attitude about life, and a record in her relationships with other people. In our scripture reading today, we learn something about God's record-keeping. We learn also about the blessings or punishments for our obedience or disobedience to God's law. Now, these lessons are coming to us, as we will see here in this chapter, through the words of Jacob as he lay dying. He has called his sons to his bedside to give his parting words. Now, I want you to look at this chapter, and you notice chapter 49, and look at verses 2 through 27. I mean, I want you to physically look at that in your text of Scripture, because I want you to see how differently from the rest of the words of that chapter, these words are set apart. And it's done that way using a different font or a different paragraph style, in most translations, to alert us, the readers, that what is said here is of a different nature than all the other words in the chapter. As Jacob himself indicates, he's now speaking as God's prophet, as one who now brings the word of Almighty God to those men about their past lives, these men, his sons, and about their future lives. Now, for some of the sons, in the as these words unfold, there is... Great blessing because of their faithfulness and devotion to the Lord. For others, there is punishment and condemnation because of their disobedience. Now, instead of going through each of these verses and analyzing the blessing or punishment as it applies to each one of those men, what I'd like to do is take only two of them this morning as a representative example. And from that, hopefully, we ourselves will learn two important things. First, how the Lord deals with us in terms of our obedience or disobedience. But then secondly, how this particular episode fits into God's overall plan to redeem his people and establish his kingdom. So let's first of all consider verses 3 and 4 of chapter 49. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. This is Jacob Israel speaking to his firstborn son. You are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and excellency of power. Now, that's pretty laudatory, isn't it? But look at verse 4. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed. There you are. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now, <clears throat> the background especially of verse 4, we find back in chapter 35 at verse 22. Let me read that for you. Genesis 35, 22. 
And it happened when Jacob Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel, that is Jacob, his father, heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. Chapter 35, verse 22. So in other words, Jacob Israel's oldest son committed immorality with one of his wives. And up to this point, all that had been said about it is that it happened and that Jacob had heard of it. He did not take any action at the time, apparently. But now on his deathbed, as the time comes to give his parting words, he speaks after many, many years of silence. And what a speech it is. I don't mean in terms of length, but in terms of content. This brief denunciation in verse 4 of chapter 49 of this man Reuben is one of the fiercest and most bitter condemnations in all the book of Genesis. Because here, this man Reuben, he joins a long list of other firstborn sons, such as Cain, Ishmael, Esau, all of whom lost the privileges of their birthrights because of their sins. Now, as it started out there in verse 3, they're, they're the glowing and laudatory words that Jacob used to describe Reuben. That has to do with his status and his position in the family. But the fact that he was the firstborn was considered, the, he was thereby considered the first few fruits, the, the strength of his father. That sort of went along with his position. But then when we get to verse 4, the next verse, we see that his position in the family is not enough to cover up his failures and sins of his past. Jacob calls him unstable as water. In other words, unruly, turbulent, destructive. Uh, the, the wording here includes the idea of a hot water boiling in a pot. And if you don't keep an eye on it, it'll boil over on you. Reuben was unstable. He was unpredictable with his passions. He was, in other words, a man not to be trusted. The gratification of his immediate desires, he placed ahead of faithfulness to God and to his father. Now, does that mean, some may wonder, and it's worth asking whether you've wondered or not, does that mean that he's no longer part of the covenant family of the Lord God? No, I don't think so. But, as the rest of verse 4 shows us, even the firstborn son of a covenant family is not beyond reaping the consequences of breaking the law of God. Jacob tells him, you will not excel in life. So his life is not going to turn out like you might expect the firstborn son's life to turn out. Now, since each of these 12 sons are the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, that means that Reuben's descendants are in some measure going to be sharing in the punishment their father has received. And, you know, the, the record of biblical history seems to indicate that that's indeed what happened because, at least by my reading, I'm happy, happy to be corrected, but the, the tribe of Reuben is barely mentioned later in Scripture. They slide off into obscurity, probably falling into idol worship for all we do. We don't know that for sure, but it's certainly possible. Now, friends, I would like for us to note very well the sin that brought Reuben to this sad state in his life. It was a sexual sin. Jacob charges him not simply with having unlawful relations with his concubine or his mistress. So we understand thereby this is not incest. This was not 
him having this relationship with his own biological mother. No, this was a common law wife of his father, Jacob. And you notice that Jacob says that his son defiled his marriage bed. And the Hebrew word translated defile there means to profane. It means to pollute something. And that shows how seriously God takes and views sexual sins. For something to be polluted or profaned, it must be considered pure, holy, sacred. And so to defile it is to make it unholy, to make unholy that which was holy. That is exactly how God views the institutions of marriage and family. They are sacred and holy in God's eyes. We are not to profane something God decrees to be holy without paying the consequence. God's law specifically prohibits the profaning or defiling of several things, including we must not defile the Lord's name by taking it in vain. We must not defile or profane the Sabbath day. So it's no surprise to find that the most severe penalties are attached to those sins that violate the bonds of family and marriage. And that is no accident. That is no coincidence. Now, I realize that in our day, that is not a thing that most people like to hear. They don't like to hear it because the typical, and I'll say for our benefit, uh, the typical American man or woman really believes that they have a right to decide for themselves what is moral or what is immoral. And you know, the most astounding thing is that thereby our time, our day, is not that much far removed from Jacob and Reuben's time or their day. Uh, That is in terms of our modern attitude, so-called, about sex and marriage. Because you see, most of the surrounding societies and tribes or cultures of people with whom the old covenant people of God interacted, well, those people had no regard at all for the sacredness of marriage. In other words, what so many people consider to be their enlightened 21st century attitudes about marriage and sexuality are nothing more than the same old pagan attitudes of 3,000 years ago. God condemned those practices then, and he still does so today. But now let's wait a moment. Let's, let's hold up as the modern Argo is. Let's just ask the question, is this the whole story? Is this where it is for Reuben? Is this the final word, nothing but punishment and condemnation? No, that is not the whole story. Because it is true that God justly punishes disobedience, it is equally true that he forgives those who sincerely repent. But we must always remember that that we have nevertheless may have to deal with the consequences of our sins. Let us be assured at the same time that God loves his people and he will forgive us if we truly repent and diligently, diligently seek a changed life as our Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us in question and answer number 87 about what is repentance unto life. It is a a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, he sincerely repents, he turns from that sin, and, and it uses the language of an endeavor after a new obedience. That's what a changed life means. It's a new obedience. But now there's another side to this too, however, and it has to do with the blessings that we receive for being faithful to the Lord. Now that is dramatically laid out for us in Jacob's words 
to his son Judah, and this is the other son we'll take as a representative example. Listen to verses 8 through 12, chapter 49. Judah, you are he, he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's coat to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Now that's quite a contrast to the words that he spoke to Jacob, isn't it? I mean, how are we to account for the differences between Judah's blessing and Reuben's punishment? Well, for one thing, many of Judah's older brothers defaulted on their birthrights because of sin. For another, and most importantly, Judah was not a perfect man. He made his share of mistakes. But unlike the others, though, he showed himself to be responsible obedient and worthy of praise. In Genesis chapter 43, verse 9, he pledged, for example, his own life to Jacob if he did not bring young Benjamin back from Egypt. And then in chapter 44, verse 33, it was Judah who went to Joseph and pleads for young Benjamin's freedom. And he even offered himself as a sacrificial substitute so that his father's life would be spared another tragedy. And so, friends, you see, if you want to be a part of the blessing. You've got to be willing to live the life of obedience to God's law that will bring it to you. Let me repeat that. If you want to be a part in receiving God's blessing, you've got to be willing to live the life of obedience to God's law that's going to bring the blessing to you. Now that not only is logical, it, it makes good sense, it also happens to be what God himself tells us in his word. Let me just give you some examples. For example, in Exodus 19, verse 5, we read, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 27 to 28, The blessing, if you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I command to you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. So obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to the curse. And in Romans 6.16, Paul, I'm reading from a slightly paraphrased translation, but it gets the meaning across, I think, very well. Paul says, don't you know that if you offer to be someone's slave, you must obey that master? Either your master is sin or your master is obedience. Letting sin be your master leads to death. Letting obedience be your master leads to God's approval. As I said, this is not only logical and it makes sense, it's clearly what God's word teaches because that's what it is. But there's another side to Jacob's words to Judah as well. Yet another side. It is a side that has to do with the foreordained, pre-planned work of God to redeem the world. Jacob's words not only decree the future leadership of Judah's tribe over the others, they also speak of the Messiah who would come and fulfill the plan of God's kingdom. You know, if you compare Jacob's words to Judah in verse 8, 
and, and following with the prophetic references of the, to the Messiah in Psalm 72, for example. And let me just give you a slight uh, ex- a sample of that. In, in chapter 49, uh, J- he says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. And speaking prophetically of the Messiah in Psalm 72, David says, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. His enemies will lick the dust. Uh, the, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. In the providence of God, it was from the tribe of Judah that our Lord Jesus Christ would be born. And so then, with those words of blessing, Jacob not only indicates the rewards that Judah would receive, but also the supreme plan of his working to bring about the redemption of the world. You know, friends, uh, living a life of committed obedience to the law of God, well, that's not always easy. And it does not always usher in immediate rewards. Sometimes those rewards come later in life. And sometimes they may not come in this earthly life at all, but in the world to come. Reminds me of a story of a farmer. I'll call his name as Carl. Carl was a farmer in a community where he was considered by the other farmers as a fool and religious fanatic. That they thought of him that way because he refused to do any farming on the Lord's Day. So instead of farming on Sunday, Carl went to church, he visited shut-ins, he spent time with his wife and children. And to many of the farmers and neighbors all around him, his choice of following God's priorities over the priorities of farming seemed like idiotic nonsense and it was backward. And so it happened one Sunday. There was severe weather predicted and expected. And so Carl's neighbors, his farming neighbors, all got together and went out and hastily harvested their crops and brought them in. But not Carl. He went to church, as usual. Later that day, one of his friends saddled up to him and made fun of him, saying, Well, just think, Carl, later this month, the rest of us, later this month, the rest of us will be enjoying big payoffs because of our work, but you just might end up with nothing, all because you spend so much time trying to please God. Where will you be then? Well, Carl just sort of smiled and replied, well, my friend, it's like this. Working for the Lord Jesus Christ has its payoffs too, but not necessarily at the end of the month. He said, the real question is, when the real payday comes, where will you be? And so I will close today's message by asking all of us, which payday is it that takes priority in our lives? Is it the one at the end of the week, the one at the end of the month, or is it the one at the end of our lives? Now is the time for us to sit and take a long look at what have been our goals in life or what maybe are still our goals in life, because a day is coming just as it did for Reuben and Judah, when the rewards and punishments will be handed out. Payday is coming, and those rewards will be handed out based on our relationship to God's divine Son, Jesus the Christ, and our obedience to His law word. By His grace, let us be found in His good graces and in obedience to Him. Let us pray.